This is The Guardian. Today, unite or die, can Rishi Sunak save the Tory party from itself? Yesterday, Rishi Sunak took his place at the dispatch box for his first Prime Minister's questions. Mr Speaker, my record is clear. When times are difficult in this country, I will always protect the most vulnerable. That is the values of our compassionate party. We did it in Covid and we will do that again. It was a confident and upbeat performance. As he promised, he was quick to erase the work of his predecessor, and you turned on Liz Truss's controversial plan for fracking. So if he is a man of his word, will he start by reversing the green light she gave to fracking, since it's categorically not been shown to be safe, and instead maintain the moratorium that was pledged in that very very manifesto that he has promised to uphold? Uh, Well, I've I've already said I I stand by the manifesto on that. And how did it all go down? Katie Balls. Deputy Editor of The Spectator, was watching closely. So I think the pressure was on Rishi Sunak at Prime Minister's Questions, and Keir Starmer, in a way, really went for it. Rishi Sunak coped fairly well, I think, in the minds of Tory MPs. It was clear the mood had shifted. For the first time in weeks, even the Tory backbenchers were buoyant. And while the toxic atmosphere in the House may have dialed down, Sunak's first decisions as PM are already causing trouble. Putting Suella Braverman back in the cabinet, for one, hasn't gone down well. We can all see what's happened here. He's so weak, he's done a grubby deal trading national security because he was scared to lose another leadership election. Still, could a battered and humiliated Tory party finally be getting behind their leader? I think it's a Tory party that has made an uneasy truce. And right now, there is an awareness that, I think as Rishi Sunak put it to MPs in his first address um, after winning the contest, it's unite or die. And just how long will that truce last? From The Guardian, I'm Noshin Iqbal. Today in Focus, why Rishi Sunak's reshuffle is just the beginning of a rocky road ahead. Katie Balls, you've been covering Rishi Sunak's reshuffle this week. His premiership has only just started, and so far we've seen him give a comedically wooden 90-second speech to the Conservative Party. And then, behind his shiny new lectern, his first address to the nation as PM. I will unite our country, not with words, but with action. And now, of course, we've seen him perform in his first Prime Minister's Questions. How did he cope at the dispatch box? So I think Rishi Sunak's always been a confident performer at the dispatch box. And with Liz Truss, there was always a sense of, will this be a good outing for her? Or will this be one where she is deemed to be incredibly robotic? Now, Rishi Sunak has been called robotic in some of his addresses, but I think he is seen as a more stable performer, not in the way Boris Johnson was, someone who uh, has plenty of flair. I think the Tory MPs 
ultimately think Rishi Sunak is competent and can deal with most things that come his way. And I think he did show that. Mr Speaker, he talks about mandates, about votes, about elections. It's a bit rich coming from the person who tried to overturn the biggest democratic vote in our country's history. It also showed how Labour wants to attack him, which will be questions of can he relate to people. Katie, let's go through Sunak's big reshuffle, or as it has been dubbed, the reshuffle. Now, he promised us integrity and accountability on his first day in number 10. And then he brought back Suella Braverman as his Home Secretary. Now, just to recap, she did have to leave her post just last week after security breach. So, another key cabinet minister is out. Suella Braverman resigning as Home Secretary this afternoon, apparently oversending an official email from her personal account. But declaring... How and why has she come back? I think she came back because politics. Effectively, Rishi Sunak is trying to form a unity cabinet, if such a thing can exist, in this current uh, stage of the Tory party with all the poison that's currently there. And what they're trying to do is avoid the mistakes that Liz Truss made in terms of rewarding only loyalty, your own backers. And I think what was really important for Rishi Sunak over the weekend, when it wasn't completely clear he'd be the next Prime Minister, when Boris Johnson was still flirting with the idea or at least wanting people to think he might throw his hat into the ring, um, the moment when lots of Tory MPs started to think it was a done deal for Rishi Sunak was when Suella Braverman came out and endorsed him and said that she'd be backing Rishi Sunak, not Boris Johnson. Now, those around Rishi Sunak deny any deal has been made, but... I think at the very least, there is perhaps an implicit understanding that Suella Braveman needed to be a part of the government because it means you have the right on side. So I had one ally of Rishi Sunak say to me, Suella is how you keep the right of the party behind Rishi Sunak. So it looks a bit grubby. It looks questionable for all the reasons you point out to in terms of this. But ultimately, the reason Suella Braveman is in government is because it is seen as very important when it comes to party management. Why? I mean, looking from the outside, um, you know, she was Home Secretary for all of two minutes or six weeks. And before that, of course, Attorney General. But her rise has been really swift. How does Braverman have so much political capital? Well, I think we saw in the leadership contest over the summer that the right just could not unite around a candidate. And uh, MPs were considering Kemi Badenoch, Suada Braverman and Liz Truss. I think that Suella Braverman used that process to really establish herself as uh, one of the, you know, the darling of the right in many ways of the party. And also, I think it's worth remembering that there's an interesting thing with Rishi Sunak where lots of figures in the party almost see him as on the left of the party. When I think in some ways he is more right wing than Boris Johnson was on some policy areas. And therefore, there are some who are quite taken aback when Suella Braverman was uh, picked as Home Secretary, not actually because of the security breach. That, that there are obviously people who are focusing uh, solely on that. But some were just thinking, oh, wait, we thought Rishi Sunak wanted to have this competent government. And so why is Suella Braverman the Home Secretary? I think for this government, he is... He does want to keep, uh, you know, things like uh, the Rwanda policy. That is something that Rishi Sunak does support. First of all, we need to make sure that 
we make our Rwanda policy work. Now, I, look, I voted for Brexit for many reasons, but in part because it gave us the ability to control our borders. And I say that as someone who's proud well, I was going to say, from a family of immigrants. A lot of people say a family of immigrants, you're the last person that should be driving people off to... If anything, he supports but wants to make it work better uh, so, so the policy actually can be actioned rather than just talking about it. Even so, Sunak must have known it would cause huge controversy. And Labour, of course, have already submitted an urgent question about her reappointment. How much of a problem do you think Suella is going to be for Rishi Sunak? I think part of the reason Rishi Sunak appointed Suella Braverman um, to the Home Office is that he he's not going to have a repeat, I think, of the debate Liz Truss was having with Suella Braverman. So the context when Liz Truss forced um, Suella Braverman to resign was actually the backdrop was a row that had been going on for some time. Welcome back, people. Now, Liz Truss's flagship trade deal with India is reportedly on the rocks after Indian ministers reacted angrily to Suella Braverman criticising migrants from their country. The Home Secretary expressed her reservations about the trade deal last week as she said that it would increase migration to the UK and that Indians represented the largest group of visa overstayers. Liz Truss wanted to relax um, migration numbers for highly skilled labour in a, a series of professions. Suella Braverman was very opposed to this. Um, and you could see in her resignation letter that she reminded Liz Truss of these manifesto promises on immigration and said how important it was to keep them in place. I think you can read Rishi Sunak appointing Suella Braverman, knowing full well uh, her views on this, as a sign that he is not planning to liberalise migration in the way that Liz Truss had wanted to. Sitting next to Sunak yesterday was another big character, Jeremy Hunt, who has been kept on as Chancellor. Now... For about 10 days, we understood that Hunt was effectively running the country. How much has that power dynamic now shifted and what's Sunak and Hunt's relationship like? I think it's shifted quite considerably. Had Rishi Sunak won the leadership contest the first time around, uh, when I went to the members, I, I don't think Jeremy Hunt would be his chancellor. That would not have been his first pick. So the situation that he has inherited means that, that Rishi Sunak and his team decided the safest and the most sensible option was to keep Jeremy Hunt in place. And I think there is a sense that Jeremy Hunt, or at least this is the view of, the, of Team Sunak, will be deferential to um, Rishi Sunak in a way that was not the case with Liz Truss. So when Jeremy Hunt was brought in to shore up Liz Truss's position, it was very much he was given free reign, told that he had final say on these decisions. That is no longer the case. Katie, what about the rest of the cabinet? Can you talk me through the comeback of two so-called Tory big beasts, Dominic Raab, back in as Justice Secretary and Deputy Prime Minister, and Michael Gove, back on the levelling up beat? Yeah, so this is almost as though nothing happened in the past six weeks in the sense that uh, clearly a lot has, but both have returned to exactly the same roles as they had before. So I think first with Raab, that is a key Rishi Sunak backer. Both Dominic Raab and Michael Gove were heavily briefed by the trust camp that they were going to be banished to political Siberia uh, when Liz Truss got into 10 Downing Street. And that is because uh, they were viewed, in the case of Dominic Raab, as being too aggressive during the Tory leadership contest. Um, But I think it was always the case, if Rishi Sunak made it in, he would win a senior role because he was so front and centre. In the case of Michael Gove, I think that is a little bit less to do with, you know, personal loyalty and the role in the campaign, so much as in Team Sunak's view, Michael Gove is just 
the most effective cabinet minister you can get. Mm. And what do you make of the rest of Sunak's appointments? Did any surprise you? So I think it was interesting how he, for example, kept James Cleverly as foreign secretary, um, given James Cleverly is someone who is well liked within the party, um, but got a big promotion under Liz Truss, was a key Liz Truss backer and very publicly out for her. And then this weekend came out for Boris Johnson. I think that is a sign of how they're trying to reach out and and you know keep various uh, wings of the party there. And then I think the other one I found quite interesting, and I would say would be Gavin Williamson's return, because you have someone who isn't too popular with parts of the Tory parliamentary party, but at the same time, Gavin Williamson is someone who uh, worked on the Rishi Sunak campaign and over the summer was really instrumental in uh, the parliamentary stage of the contest, where Rishi Sunak did win the highest number of MP backers. So I think it was an example of how Rishi Sunak is happy to reward loyalty, even if that is going to lead to some type of backlash. It would have been a safer option not to bring Gavin Williamson back in. And what about Penny Morden, who pulled out the leadership contest on Monday afternoon? OK, I'm sorry, I've just got a, a tweet here. Uh, this is from Penny Morden. It looks like uh, Penny Mordant has dropped out of the race. She was telling reporters, yes, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm here to support the PM. And the general understanding was that, she, you know, having pulled out, leaving Rishi to become PM, she would get a top job. And as you've said, she hasn't. She's remained in her old position as the leader of the Commons. What does this tell us about the mood in Camp Sunak? So the talk is that she was offered something, uh, potentially the uh, Department for Transport, um, but she did not want this and would prefer to stay in her current role. So I think what it tells us was when it came to Monday, I think there was heavy frustration in the Sunak camp that Penny Mordaunt seemed determined after Boris Johnson had dropped out to push this to the membership stage. And I think this was an irritant for some because they didn't feel as though she had momentum behind her campaign. She was on about 25, 26 MPs publicly being out for her on the Monday morning. Um, so they thought even if she does get to 100, this is more just for the sake of having going through the process rather than because this is going to be a tight contest. So why not step aside? There are serious issues to deal with. And I think to lots of MPs, actually, it felt as though Penny Mordaunt had misjudged the mood of the party. I think that she misplayed her hand and it meant she was in a a weaker position when it came to to roles. Katie, there were, of course, some sackings. Now, Jacob Rees-Mogg managed to resign with a characteristically handwritten note dated St Crispin's Day. Who else did Sunak clear out and why? In terms of those who were either resigned or pushed, you had a situation where Anne-Marie Trevelyan, uh, the Transport Secretary, she, she is no longer with a role. Simon Clark, the levelling up secretary, a key trust backer, um, who also got behind Boris Johnson, um, he was pushed out. And then Kit Malthouse uh, was interesting in the sense he, again, is a Boris Johnson person widely seen, and he was promoted by Liz Trust to Education Secretary. Now, the talk is that he was told he could not stay in that role but they would offer him something else and he did not want a demotion so he had to leave I think they tried to do enough in some of the those they kept that you couldn't just say they were only going because they're back Liz Truss or Boris Johnson but it's also safe to say they, they didn't sack any Rishi Sudak loyalists 
first speech to the nation, Sunak did also speak about how he was going to bring together the most talented people from across the Conservative Party. Does this cabinet really reflect that? It's in the eye of the beholder and lots of people look at this cabinet and think that if you look at the previous breaches, if you look at some of the track records of their time in office, these people do not fit that bill. What Rishi Sunak has effectively done is try to balance the various factions within the parliamentary party in a way that he can keep this government going and try and avoid some rebellions, at least in the short term. Is it going to hold? So Mel Stride, another Rishi Sunak loyalist, is now work and pension secretary. Um, But Mel Stride has also spoken about how he thought there was a good argument for benefits rising in line with inflation. Ben Wallace kept his role as Defence Secretary. He has made no secret of the fact that he thinks uh, defence spending must go up to 3%. So are we heading to a point where you could have mass resignations if uh, Rishi Sunak uh, cannot please these people in terms of what they want? But for all that he is trying to strike a balance in the cabinet, one of the most notable things about Sunak's choices is that there are very few women, just seven out of 21, which is worrying if you're to have a plurality of voices and experience. Is this not a huge problem for Sunak? Yeah, I think if you look at the lack of women in senior roles, it became a problem really early on in the reshuffle. And at first, people thought this might be a choreography problem in the sense that you had lots of senior men being announced in great offices of state. Eventually, there was a woman in a great office of state, Suada Braverman, but they announced her so far down the line, a narrative formed. But then actually, by the time you got to the end of the uh, reshuffle and you counted, there were just very, very few women. It's obviously not a good look. And I think it just shows that their priority when they've been doing this is clearly trying to balance the factions. But in doing that, the gender balance has, uh, in a way, been put to one side. Well, it's often said that a bold prime minister will assemble a cabinet from all sides of the party and that a weaker less brave one, will rely on close allies and loyalists. Now, we saw that with Boris Johnson and with Liz Truss. What does Sunak's cabinet tell us? And does it strengthen his leadership, do you think? Or will it just make it much harder for him to get things done? Well, I think effectively, there's just no good way to govern this Tory party at this point. (laughs) There's just too many people who hate one another in the Tory party and um, there's a lot of grudges and therefore you're almost doing damage limitation and I think what Rishi Sunak is trying to do is thinking if you can bind enough people into decisions you'll, you'll get more through. I think in terms of reaching cabinet unity and also having cabinet discipline well Liz Truss uh, formed a cabinet which was largely based on loyalty and she still didn't have cabinet discipline. I think you can have these problems regardless of what you do. And actually with loyalty, um, someone backing you because they want a job isn't really going to hold free for, for that long anyway. I think with all the difficult decisions coming, you can you can see with this cabinet, I think there's a chance that this is a cabinet which is quite at risk of resignations. And it might be that they're able to surprise and buck the trend and the Tories uh, calm down. I think they they really do have to unite. But also with all the different factions in there and the strong views, you can start to see how some decisions will really isolate some people around that table. Well, it's really interesting you say that it's quite likely for there to be some resignations. I mean, for all that, we're told that the grown-ups are back and this is time for stability. It seems like Sunak's still on quite wobbly ground. I mean, how long do you expect the unity will hold? I mean, maybe until the 17th of November um, when we have this fiscal statement. I mean, 
I think in government, you always do have some disagreements. And for example, if you look at the number 10, number 11 relationship over the years, it is normal to have different views on things. I think the problem is, if Rishi Sunak can keep this government going until 2024, MPs would be pleasantly surprised. Um, There is just a worry that um, things have got to the point where it's really hard to whip this party it's really hard to get MPs to go out and defend a difficult decision. Probably the most sunny situation for Rishi Sunak is the idea that lots of the people around that table are just invested, partly because they want to avoid an early election, partly because they want to stay in their government roles. I suppose the other thing potentially uh, for Rishi Sunak is the economic situation is so bad at this point there just isn't much flexibility. So I think had Rishi Sunak actually won in the summer, he would have found himself maybe in a trickier position in terms of party management. Lots of these Tory MPs would still want immediate tax cuts. They would think that, you know, this was project fear by Rishi Sunak. Um, Whereas now you've had a situation where actually that has been tested. And then also, I think in terms of Boris Johnson, had Rishi Sunak won over the summer, he would have faced quite furious Boris Johnson backers who would have uh, ultimately taken this as evidence. This was a plot by Rishi Sunak when he resigned in Boris Johnson's dying days. And therefore, I think it is in a way done something as to help Rishi Sunak boost his authority. So I think he is in a better position now than he would have been at the end of the summer to to give this a go, but it's still a very difficult world he is navigating right now. It's so striking. You're saying so had he won at the beginning of summer, he would have faced utter turmoil within the party and a lot of difficulty trying to govern. And now that he's come in after trust, he faces a country in turmoil and a much deeper economic crisis than we had before that premiership. The markets, though, have seemed to responded quite well to Rishi and his reshuffle. What about the rest of the party? Katie, what is the gossip like in the WhatsApp groups? I think everyone's on quite good behaviour at the moment. I have to say, you're calling around. And after, I think, a few weeks where, you know, people were just calling you to ultimately tell you they're members of the antitrust coalition, it has now got to the point where, at least for a few days, people are saying, oh, unity's the word, unity's the word. I mean, I asked one Red Wall MP, oh, are you ready for Rishi? And they just replied saying, well, I bloody well have to be. Which wasn't exactly a ringing endorsement. But again, I think you can see the trouble coming up. But I think the general sense is push on. Coming up, how can Keir Starmer take on Rishi Sunak? Shantae Joseph, I'm a writer and broadcaster and I spend way too much time online. But now those years of scrolling are finally paying off because I'm hosting The Guardian's new pop culture podcast. In each episode, I'm going to get under the skin of the week's biggest stories. If you love pop culture and want to get into how it's shaping and impacting our lives, then you should join me every Thursday, launching on the 3rd of November. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Bye! Katie, all that said, it did seem like Rishi Sunak really enjoyed his first session in the House. But obviously, in the outside world, there are hugely difficult times ahead. People are still suffering a staggering cost of living crisis. There is deep anxiety about energy bills, the cost of renting or of getting a mortgage. And now the government's fiscal statement has been delayed from being announced on Halloween to the 17th of November. 
Is there any indication of what we can expect from it? So I think the very fact that uh, Rishi Sunak felt that he could delay it is a sign of his confidence that the situation in the markets is calming. And you, you've seen early signs of that um, in terms of the pound, in terms of the cost of government borrowing. Uh, in terms of what we can expect, all the suggestions from those around Rishi Sunak is, is going to be pretty grisly and they've inherited a very difficult situation. Their view is that it has substantially worsened in the time that Liz Truss was in Downing Street. And now there will have to be difficult decisions. And I think the fact that it's delayed shows that Rishi Sunak did not want to take what Jeremy Hunt had come up with. He wants to do it his own way. And then in terms of the, the fiscal black hole, if it's 35, 40, 45 billion, that is going to need uh, some unpalatable decisions. I think in a way, Rishi Sunak probably has more scope than anyone else in terms of um, trying to soften some of these because he has the market confidence in a way that Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng did not. And in amid all of this, how worried do you think Sunak is about what Labour will come up with next? I mean, under Liz Truss, the Labour Party enjoyed a 36-point lead over the Tories. And now they do have a more difficult opponent. What do you expect their attack lines to be? So I think it's definitely the case that Labour preferred going up against Liz Truss um, than they will Rishi Sunak. There is a sense in uh, the leader's office, and I think this is what Keir Starmer effectively said to his shadow cabinet, that they do not believe the poll lead is going to stay as high as it is at the moment for the party. I think they still expect to be in front, given everything that's going on, but it's an artificial poll lead. And for example, I understand that Keir Starmer's personally banned members of his team from posting polls on WhatsApp groups um, because he's saying, you you need to not buy into the hype. We need to focus. And so I, I think they'll be attacking Rishi Sunak as someone who is responsible for the economy and has been in charge of the economy for some time. And they'll also be trying to, I think, paint him as a bit of a weird guy and also a bit of a shady guy, um, trying to stoke this tension in terms of Rishi Sunak and uh, the idea that he was behind the downfall of Boris Johnson, because they know that plays badly in parts of the Red Wall if, the, if they can get it going. Finally, Katie, Rishi Sunak has been imposed on the country at a time when his party and the country itself desperately needs stability. And of course, he does have a job on his hands. From everything you've seen so far, what do you think you've learned about how he will claw back his party's popularity? And can he do it in time for a general election? So I think right now, lots of Tory MPs see Rishi Sunak's task not so much as winning the next general election, but they see it more as in trying to prevent that election and spelling the end of the Tory party for over a decade. In terms of what Rishi Sunak will be like as a prime minister, I think he'll be quite different to both Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. I think he is a prime minister who really believes in trade-offs and has uh, been very frustrated, I think, working under Boris Johnson and then also just going against Liz Truss during the leadership contest when she was promising lots of things and he was having to take this realist approach, how everything has a cost, has a trade-off and therefore could be uh, fitting for the current mood if people are, you know, ultimately worried at the fact that he is going to be a very sober leader and that's not just because he is teetotal. And I think ultimately for Rishi Sunak to have a chance of achieving any of this, it will go down to delivery and and improving the economic situation and the jury's out on how, how far he can go in doing that. Katie, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That was Katie Balls. My thanks to her. Do head to theguardian.com for more coverage and analysis from our lobby team in Westminster. 
And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Alex Atak and Natalie Hatena. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Huma Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Thank you.